pray. Lord, that is just our prayer, um, that you would be magnified in our lives. And, and Lord, we know that the time that we spend together uh, looking at your word is part of that process. And so we rely upon you, Holy Spirit, to teach us these things that we need to know for life and godliness. Lord, may it not just be an exercise of gaining knowledge, um, but may it be an exercise of transformation as we gain insights into who you are and who we are and how you work. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so it's been a, a couple weeks. Um, I know a few people are ill and tired and all that good stuff, but uh, hey, let's jump in. Matthew chapter 2. We will attempt to get through chapter 3, verse 12, but let's begin in verse 13, and we'll go 13 through 23, or the end of chapter 2. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet out of Egypt, I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to, all, to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place over his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, that, was all, that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled. He shall be called a Nazarene. So a lot going on, a lot of um, interesting thoughts. Joseph apparently was one who God spoke to in dreams. Does this mean that God speaks to everybody in dreams? No. Does it mean that God um, can speak in dreams? Yes. But... We must make sure, yes, he can speak in dreams. No, I was just thinking of, there's a verse that talks about young men will yes. dream dreams. Okay, wonderful. Mm -hmm. um, so what we must always take what we feel as a dream or know about a dream and line it up with scripture, right? God's not going to ask you or tell you to do something that's contrary to scripture. I had a pastor that I served with that he dreamt a lot. He goes, hey, Kirk, let me run this dream by you. He goes, I don't know if it's from the Lord or if it was too much pepperoni pizza. I mean, that was his line all the time. And he was astounded that I don't dream. And I wouldn't say that I don't dream uh, because they, they tell you, scientists tell you that everybody dreams. But I don't remember. I remember one dream that I've had. 
my whole life when I was five years old. That's the only dream I remember. I had it a couple nights in a row, and it was a scary dream. It's probably why you never dream, because you are like, you don't let your... Yeah, I don't want that. I don't want that experience again. So, um, but I think it could be that when God does give me a dream, I'm going to know that it's a dream because I don't normally remember them. So maybe that's it. Um, So let us also remember as we look at this that Scripture interprets Scripture. So turn to Hosea. How many times have you turned to Hosea? 11 verse 1. Hosea is not too far back to the left. How do you spell Hosea? H-O-S-E-A. Hosea. Okay. He's a minor prophet? Yes. It's only about three books back to the left. Oops. It's after Daniel, yes. Hosea, what? 11, verse 1. So remember, uh, let's recap. Matthew was talking to the Jewish reader. So they would have known the minor prophets. They would have known a lot they were reading. And so he connects some dots that were like, okay. Um, this is one of those dots that he connects. So you're like, all right, that's fine. But they would have understood. Verse 1 of chapter 11 of Hosea. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. So that's what he was referencing. And they would have known that that was a reference to the Messiah. Um, Those of us who read it go, man, that seems obscure. Uh, But however, scholars will say that the the rabbis would teach that that was a reference to who was the Messiah and where they would come from. So we see that there's that they fled to Egypt because they were warned um, that Herod really didn't want to come worship. He really wanted to come and kill. And this was because Herod was furious because he was feeling threatened. And I think, um, you know, that often we find ourselves agitated and on edge when our safety and our security feels threatened. So, you know, a lot of times we look at guys like Herod or, um, you know, the, the scribes and the Pharisees. Like, oh, man. Well, they're not necessarily, we're not, I want to be careful we don't point the finger at them. But we also go, there's something in them that is common to man. And when we feel threatened, um, we find ourselves acting in ways maybe that aren't necessarily becoming of a Christian. Um, and so he was furious because he was threatened. And, and so the only way for us, though, to not feel threatened, now I'm not talking about if you're in the woods and there's a bear or a mountain lion, okay? That's real threatened. You've got to react. You've got to get out of there. But the only way for us to not feel threatened is to find, though, our solace in God and God alone. And this is what was threatening Herod, was that the Messiah, the king of all, had come on the scene, and he did not want to be dethroned. So let's look at some of these ideas of finding solace in God and God alone. Psalm 3, verse 3. Psalm 3, verse 3. And again, we see God being a solace and we see him being a protector um, for Mary and Joseph and, of course, his son Jesus. Uh, And we see that that is God's nature. Psalm 3, verse 3 says, But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. You're a shield about me. That's a shield of protection. Couple verse or chapters over. Psalm 5 verse 12. For you bless the righteous, O Lord, and you cover him with a fate with favor as with a shield. 
We have the righteousness of Christ that has been given to us because of the work of Jesus Christ. And when we receive that and we believe in him, he imputes or accounts us as righteous. And that's his work. And that is also his favor. And it's a covering for us. Psalm 18. By the way, we are going to go through several psalms um, on Sunday mornings during the summer. It's the summer of psalms. Um, I love reading through the Psalms. A lot of the reason I love it is because David is crazy. And so I don't feel so alone with my emotional ups and downs. I'm like, okay. I mean, he would have probably been diagnosed as bipolar and they would have medicated him because, I mean, he's one minute, I'm dying. The next minute, oh, praise the Lord, he's my everything. The next minute, oh, you know. So it's great because that is very common to us. So um, Psalm 18, verse 2. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Horn, if you look at horn in the Psalms, just replace it with the word strength. That's, it's a symbol of strength. Because it's weird to say a horn, that's, you know, but it's a symbol of strength. And then in verse 30 of Psalm 18, oops, too far. So strength in my salvation? Mm-hmm. Verse 30, this God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. Verse 35 of Psalm 18, you have given me the shield of your salvation and your right hand supported me and your gentleness made me great. So we realize that our salvation is actually a protection for us. Psalm 28 verse 7. 28 verse 7. The Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts and I am helped. My heart exults and with my song I give thanks to him. And then Psalm 33 verse 20. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. Psalm 84, 11. By the way, I like the Psalms. By the way. Well, and I just scratched the surface with some of these. Um, Psalm 84, verse 11. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Psalm 91, verse 4. Psalm 91, verse 4. He will cover you with his pinions. And under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. Buckler, by the way, is one that shields and protects. So often kings would have bucklers um, as an extra measure of protection. And so when there was an attack, that buckler's job was to shield the king. And so this is an additional layer of protection. Psalm 115, verse 11. 115, 11. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. Psalm 119, 114. So many verses in Psalm 119. So again, what, the reason we're going through this exercise is because God is, doesn't change. right? And we're seeing that this is how he dealt with Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus. 
How, and, and this is how he deals with us. Psalm 119, verse 114. You, have been, you are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. So remember, when we go through times where we feel threatened, when we feel things are uneasy, that he is our shield, he is our protector, his salvation, the strength of his salvation is protecting us. Psalm 144, verse 2. One forty-four, verse two. He is my steadfast love and my fortress, my stronghold and my deliverer, my shield, and He in whom I take refuge, who subdues people under me. So we see here that Mary and Joseph were protected by Jesus, and Mary and Joseph would have been familiar with a lot of these psalms, and so they would have seen this in action that He is protecting. Them. And then we see in Matthew 2, 18, a voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation. Lamentation is, is just, uh, most of you know, to lament over something is to be sorrowful or to mourn over something. Or really, we, how many of us during, I, I don't want to bring it up too much, but how many of us during COVID and during the world affairs have lamented the way things are? Like, oh man. I'm just tired of the way things are. Uh, we went to this conference and it was really, it was a great conference, but a lot of the main speakers uh, talked about COVID the whole time. And what we realized is in a place like Phoenix, Arizona, in a, you know, that has a couple million people in different states, they, dealed with, they had to deal with, and then one of the speakers was from um, Concordia, Irvine, California. They had to deal with it at a different level uh, than we did. Because, and so I had to, when I first was like, oh, I'm so over this, right? But then I had to realize, wait a second, my experience isn't, this, isn't shared. The only thing that's shared is the craziness and the unknown and the misinformation, right? That's really all that was shared. And, and, and so, um, but yet there were different experiences, a level depending on where you live, depending on population, um, you know, because there were moments here where, okay, got a little fear, fearful for a moment because we didn't really know. And there were certain things that were happening. Um, but um, again, smaller population, we can sift through it a little quicker and go, okay, um, let's really see what's happening. Let's really look what's happening. Yeah, people are getting sick, not denying it at all. But our experience of that wasn't as great as highly populated areas. Um, and so... And I say that only because that I, I sat there and go, oh man, I don't, I'm, I was lamenting. I don't want the whole conference to be about this. But it was a big deal because um, the two years previously, it was three weeks after the conference that we were shut down. <laughs> I mean, and, so, and so you realize that that's been a long time. So to get back together and to process everything now together was, and people, by the way, it was a joyous thing, 3,000 people who you wouldn't have known there was a pandemic, really. I mean, it was quite astounding. It was wonderful. Um, but this comes from Jeremiah 31, verse 15. So let's go to Jeremiah 31, verse 15. Now they're in Babylonian captivity. And so Jeremiah, by the way, wrote the book of Lamentations. So he knows how to lament. He is called the weeping prophet. Uh, Jeremiah is said that spoke the gospel of the Lord 
um, and the word of the Lord for 40 years before one person listened to him. It's a great encouragement for anybody who's been sharing with other people to go, have you done it for 40 years yet? Okay, you're, you don't have anything on Jeremiah yet, right? <laughs> so uh, Jeremiah thirty-one fifteen. thus says the Lord who gives the son, oh, whoops, wrong scripture. Let me get back. Thus says the Lord, a voice is heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel is weeping for her children. She refuses to be comforted for her children because they are no more. So this is in reference to that. So again, Matthew's saying, look, um, here's the prophecy. We know it was the captivity of Babylon, but now all these children are being slain. And there's weeping. There's weeping. God prepared us for this. There's going to be weeping. And I think a lot of times, um, so this Babylonian captivity kind of foreshadowed the suffering that was going to happen under Herod. And I think sometimes it's difficult for us to to grapple with this. So one of the questions I've, I've had often is, why did God let that happen? Why did he... Why did he remove Jesus if he knew this was going to happen? Well, God's not at fault for a wicked person's actions, right? I mean, God doesn't want it to happen, but God's purposes are way more... Okay, this is going to sound hard, but it's way more important than this moment where a bunch of children were killed. Hard for us to fathom. We have to step back and go, okay, wait a second. Christ had to live. It wasn't his time to die yet. Um, there were some things that had to be done. God protected that so that his purposes for all time and eternity, past, present, and future would be redeemable. There would be a, a, a way for mankind to be saved. And, and so, yeah, it's tough when you see, I mean, I look at, at even what's happening in the Ukraine and trying to figure out what's really happening, you, you know, because again, you get lots of different reports. Well, it is, it is. But you're like, there are innocent people that are suffering. And, and he's like, oh man, why? Why does that happen? Um, but again, we were promised this. Since the fall of man, there's been wars and rumors of wars and, and injustices that we can't handle. That's why we have to look outside of this world to get any sense of hope. So why is there this reference to Rachel? So let's go back to Genesis chapter 35. Genesis chapter 35. Because we need to understand why Rachel would be mentioned here. Um, again, Jacob uh, was, was married to Rachel. Uh, a little bit of background on Rachel. Uh, Jacob ran away, took the blessing from his brother Esau, escaped and ran away and ended up working for um, a distant cousin, potentially uncle, there's two sides of that, doesn't really matter. Relative named Laban, right? And so Laban uh, had a couple daughters. Jacob was smitten with Rachel. He says, hey, I want your daughter, Rachel. And Laban says, hey, work for me seven years and you can have her. That's the way it worked back then. Works for him seven years. It comes to the wedding night and they're in the tent and they're consummating the marriage. In the morning, they wake up and he realizes it was Leah, who was the older sister, who had well, cow eyes is the real is the real is the real uh, um, definition of it. 
Uh, and so he's like, you tricked me. And so Laban's like, well, first of all, God was blessing Laban because of Jacob. And so he's like, I don't, I don't want this guy to, to leave. And so he goes, okay, well, you know, how could I, Leah's the older one. I can't let the younger one be married. Words, Work for me another, another seven years and you can have Rachel. And so, you know, this, this, so seven years later, he gets Rachel. Leah pops out kids like crazy, right? Which was a big deal to them. Rachel can't. In fact, at one point, Rachel looks at, at Jacob and says, why won't you give me children? He goes, who am I, God, that you can have children? Right? And so there's this big thing. And so all the 12 tribes of Israel come from Leah and Rachel because Rachel does finally have a child. So in verse 28 of Genesis 35, we see, um, is that right? No, this is chapter 28. Right. No, yeah, that's better. So Rachel is this person. It's just no. It's just chapters twenty-eight for thirty-five. I I miss I misread my. Oh okay. So this is the idea of Rachel. That's what I was explaining. So, and Rachel has Benjamin at the end. It's pretty exciting. Um, and so chapters. If you want to know about Rachel, it's chapters twenty-eight for thirty-five. So that's where the lamenting comes because she's considered really the the, the matriarch of the tribes, even though she only produced you know one. <laughs> uh, Leah kind of did, but they don't care about Leah because Jacob was, Rachel was the one. And so she is this one who has bore the children. Then she dies. Okay. Anyway, so back in chapter two of Matthew, we see that Herod has died. And so uh, Joseph in a vision says, okay, go back and then uh, he starts going back, and then he hears that Archelaus, or Archelaus, I would pronounce his name, um, Archelaus, was the son of Herod. And he's like, hmm, this dude's a bad dude. And why do we know that he's a bad dude? Because he was a brutal ruler. Um, his three half-brothers ahead of him were killed by Herod. Uh, and, and so uh, before Archelaus had become of age, so he had other people online. Again, this was how threatened Herod was of his position. He killed his own children because he didn't want them rising up. Uh, because once they became of age, hey, they could overthrow me. Uh, and they didn't. Now, it's interesting is that Archelaus is, um, he was a Samaritan because his mother was a Samaritan. So he had part Jewish in him. But he had a, a bad reputation, let's just say. His dad was bad. He was worse. So when news came to Joseph, Joseph's like, uh, hey, I'm not too excited about that. And what's interesting is you don't see God chastising him for this and saying, yeah, but I told you, Herod's dead. Go back. He actually says, no, okay. Um, and so I think sometimes we feel guilty if we have fears or we have, we have these moments of, well, but what about this? Um, and it's okay. It's okay to process with that with the Lord and hear from the Lord and say, okay, well, then I want you to go this way instead of that way. Or no, I've got you. Keep going. You're going to be fine and receive that peace from the Lord. So though not found directly in the Old Testament, we see uh, that the end of verse 23, that the prophets might be fulfilled, he shall be called a Nazarene. Um, it's not found directly in the Old Testament, uh, but we do believe that again, Matthew speaking to the Jewish mind, they would have known that this was a saying. Um, it's um, almost, who do I say this? It's almost 
foolishness for us to think that all the writings were completely preserved. God preserved what needed to be preserved. But there were a lot of other things that a prophet said that maybe uh, didn't get written down but were you know, passed on through, through oral tradition. Uh, so it would have been made sense for them to understand this. Now, Nazarene was not someone who was popular in Jewish culture. So they were considered, someone who was a Nazarene was considered despised and rejected. So this is where we kind of get a good reference to the Messiah. Psalm 22, verse 6 and 7. Psalm 22, verse 6. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who seek me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. By the way, 22 is a great uh, picture of the crucifixion. Um, You know, they cast lots for my garments. My heart melts like wax. So when he was pierced, Um, In the side, both water and blood came out. So it's like the melting of that. So um, very huge, big. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me in Psalm 22? So you see a lot of this foreshadowing in there. But despised and rejected, Psalm 22. Call it the Messiah Psalm? Yeah, some have, yeah. Um, but, But again, according to the Doe of the Dawn. Anyway, so, um, so when they say comes from Nazarene, that would have been a clear reference from Matthew to say someone who's despised and rejected, which would have been a clear, easy reference for a lot of people to Psalm 22. Also, Isaiah 53.3. Now remember that the Jews were expecting the Messiah to come back in glory, and they overlooked a lot of these verses uh, because they wanted to pretty much point at all the other nations and say, our daddy's bigger than yours. We told you so. And so they were not looking for someone to come as a humble servant, someone to be a common. They were looking for what we are looking for, the second coming of Christ. They were looking for that without the first coming of Christ. They, 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 they ignored some things. So Psalm 53, 3. He was despised and rejected by man, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. And this is, again, a a big picture in in Isaiah 53 of the suffering servant, Jesus Christ. We also know that his face was so marred that he was unrecognizable, and that's in the Old Testament too. He was despised and rejected by men. They didn't want him. They said, crucify him. Um, You know, a few days before, they're like, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. You know, Lord save us, is what they're saying. And then... They're like, crucify him. Uh, By the way, that's why, again, like this morning, don't rely on your experiences because you can get caught up in the experience and that experience will will fail you at times. So remember again that Matthew is intent on showing the Jewish audience that Jesus is the Messiah. So the Jews, again, would have connected these things that Matthew was saying to show the idea of the Messiah being despised and rejected. So who is John the Baptist? Let's read chapter 3 verses 1 through 12. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. 
Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warns you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not presume to say of yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Okay, so we talk about Baptists having uh, hellfire and brimstone, it's because they came from John the Baptist. I mean, that's where they get some. This guy was no nonsense. But a lot of people wonder who is John the Baptist. We know um, that uh, in, in Luke's account, uh, that when Mary went to see uh, Elizabeth, who was pregnant with John the Baptist, that he leaped in the womb when the Lord came. And she goes, and we see that the Holy Spirit was upon him. And so they are cousins. The reality is they probably did not live around each other. So they might not have known each other very well. Maybe when he was 12 in the caravan, um, when, when he stayed behind, they might have been part of all the kids that went there. But we know that John the Baptist left when he came of age. And he took off into the wilderness. But Isaiah 40 verse 3 does mention... John the Baptist. 40, verse 3. Again, scripture, er, scripture interprets Scripture. So we see this was foreshadowed and we see the fulfillment here. Verse 3, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And now they might have gone, okay, well, yeah, everyone knows that one. That makes sense. How about Malachi? Um, or Malachi, the Italian pro, uh, prophet. The very last book of the Old Testament, Malachi 3, verse 1. Malachi 3, verse 1. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Right? This was the message. He is coming. He is coming. Now, there is this possibility because people don't know John the Baptist. And so we're going to give a little bit of history here. This is speculation. This is not clearly um, expressed in, uh, in, in the Bible. But it is a good theory of who John the Baptist was and where he came from. Um, there is a possibility. Now, many people believe since the Malachi, I keep saying Malachi, Malachi, <laughs> Damien Kyle ruined me. So Malachi uh, at the end to John the Baptist, when we see the, the announcement of the birth of Jesus, um, was about 400 years. 
similar to captivities that they had in Egypt and, and whatnot. And so um, if you want to get into numerology, it can get you really caught up in the weeds and lots of formulations uh, because you have to go with the Jewish calendar and not our calendar, which is only 360 days instead of 365. So anyway, but 400 years. And so we see that between that time of John Baptist, it, it appeared as if God was silent. There was no prophet on the scene. But yet there were these ancillary groups um, that were coming along and preserving the word of God. The Essenes would be one. Now the Essenes were asceticists. That's a hard word to say, but they practiced asceticism, which Paul says in Galatians, don't do that. A-S-C-E-T-I-S-M. Asceticism. Or S-E-T-I-C-I-S-M. Anyway, but that is, is those who, and you see this in the Catholic faith a lot, those who, um, you, you know, are so strict about how they practice stuff that they even scourge themselves. Um, they're very, they, I mean, these guys would have made the Pharisees who kept the law look like they didn't know how to keep the law because they're like, you guys aren't doing it right. You guys aren't practicing hard enough. You're not denying the world. You're, you're, not li you're, you're living too comfortably. You need to be this way. So that's why a lot of scholars believe that John was an Essene and where he came from. Now, the Essenes were a group of people where they found in the Qumran area, they found the Dead Sea Scrolls. Um, and again, I'm excited. Next fall, not this fall, but next fall, 2023, we will go to where the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered. And it's fascinating. Fascinating. And, and you go and, you like, and you, they look and they found Isaiah. I mean, pretty much they found this document that would have been preserved by the Essenes. Now, there's different uh, d ideas about how Essenes practice ritual washings, but that's one thing that they would have had against the Pharisees and the religious leaders. They, you guys don't wash enough. You only wait till it's the, it's the um, motfa. Mo oh, man. The name escapes me. <sighs> mitzvah. There we go. I had to get the right first. Mitzvah was a ritual that... that once a year, all the, all the Jews would go and they would bathe as much like baptism. So we see this idea of baptism. The Essenes would do it, a lot of people believe, multiple times a day. That they would be so overwhelmed, much like our, the founder of the Lutheran Church, Martin Luther, so overwhelmed with the fact that they, they can't even think straight, that I need to go wash again. I need to go wash again. I need to go wash again. And so they would have rejected king's diets and they would have been people who were very hardcore about how they kept their faith. And you've maybe met some people who they're like, you have to practice Christianity this way or you're not a real Christian. And you're like, man, but you're miserable, right? <laughs> I mean, you know, and don't put that on me. But you also, to some degree, can respect some of these people who just have that, that they're all in. Um, but sometimes it's difficult because you're like, okay, but you're crazy. Right? And so and that was kind of some of the idea of John the Baptist. And the area, the wilderness that they would have called that he came from would have pointed towards um, where the Essenes would have been. Um, again, the diet and how he dressed was very similar. And then his, his continual emphasis on being baptized would have shown, hey, this would have made sense. Again, no clear proof in the Bible, but I think it does kind of make sense that there was um, this group of people. And he called, he called the Pharisees out, you know, right? He's like, hey, you guys are brood of vipers. And basically saying, you think your father's Abraham, he's not. Which we see Jesus confront them later 
where he says, uh, your, actually, he says, your father's the devil to the Pharisees. Like, no, our father's Abraham. No, he's not. <laughs> so, yeah, so anyway, but again, this would have been a huge message of the importance of repentance as necessary for the entrance of Jesus. Prepare the way, right? You don't find anybody uh, receiving the gift of salvation from the Lord who has not repented. Right? You can't, it doesn't make sense. You can't do it, right? Because repentance means that there's an acknowledgement that I'm not right. There's a repent, repentance means that a God is holy, I am not, and I need help. So there's repentance, a churning away. Um, and so again, this was something that John the Baptist was coming on the scene. He is considered, just so you know, the official last Old Testament prophet. Because... Um, Jesus and after Jesus is the New Testament. So anyway, uh, even though he's not in the Old Testament, it doesn't really matter. But um, Hebrews chapter 1 says, In the past, God spoke through the prophets, but now he has spoken through his son. And basically saying, we don't need the prophets of old. So now prophecy brings on a different meaning. It's, it's no longer a foretelling, like what's going to happen in the future. Prophecy, now the gift of prophecy after Christ is a foretelling. What has God already said? He's revealed it, and now we forth tell. Um, that's the gift of that. So the Pharisees and the Sadducees were not willing to repent, and this could be because John was from this sect of the Essenes um, who disagreed vehemently with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. I mean, if they saw that he was an Essene, they know that they're like this. And his words would almost show that. <laughs> you know, there are, you're listening to that one podcast. I see that pastor that they're, they're talking about is kind of a John the Baptist guy. I'm just going to tell you how it is now, whether he was, I don't, I mean, John Baptist was doing what he needed the to do. Guy. What's that? The pastor. No, 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 no. So, so this guy, okay. yeah, no, 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 this guy, uh, there's just some pastors. Uh, I would say, um, uh, maybe a, Lara knows this guy, John Corson, who I respect, um, who, is just he just he knows God's word. He lives differently than everybody else. Everything. It's he, we were at a pastors' conference. And he was speaking, and um, if you saw John, you'd see that he worked out. Um, and he uh, he said he goes. I was in the locker room, and he's got this great voice. Anyway, I was in the locker room, and I started telling this guy we're getting dressed. I started telling him all that God was doing for me, and the guy goes, "Wait, wait, wait! Why are you telling us? I don't believe in that stuff." He goes, you don't? Why not? And so, you know, and so I'm like, well, I guess that's how I have to be. His whole point was, you know, just tell people about Jesus and then ask them why they're not us. I'm like, well, that's what God's called you to. Uh, but um, a friend of ours went to Israel with him and, and he goes, he goes, Kirk, I, he goes, I'm serious. Every place we went, he found the hottest pot, spot to sit in the sun and I didn't see him eat the whole time. And so this is just a guy who, who you go, there's, there's. And, and sometimes you share things, you're like, mm, I don't think you were supposed to share that with all of us. That was for you. But anyway, but there's these guys like this that you go, man, that's a whole different level, right? That, that I, that, it's fine. They're called to that and let them be that way. Um, but again, his words would show, again, that he might have been an Essene, but certainly the Pharisees did not receive his message at all. And some of the reason was because is that the people that were under the religious leaders were receiving this message and finding actual freedom 
um, because they weren't under the law. They were finding, wait, I get baptized and, and I don't have to go do all this stuff. And again, it was preparing the way for the message of the free gift of salvation from Jesus to come on the scene. It was softening their hearts. Pharisees were losing control. Uh, again, back to Herod. You know, when you feel threatened and you start fearing, you're going to try, what do I need to do to hold control? Uh, so anyway, John speaks judgment upon the Pharisees and considers the fruit of repentance to be good fruit. By the way, when you have people that you are dealing with, um, a fruit of repentance is something we as believers should look for. Uh, you know, uh, you, you, it's tough when you have kids because uh, you say things that you probably wouldn't say if you would think about it. But, you know, what, what's one of the things you say to your kids? Well, believe you're sorry when I see you change, right? <laughs> you know, and, but what you're really saying is I believe it when I see a fruit of repentance, right? But what is that fruit of repentance? And it is, it's, it's I'm, I'm really sorry. I'm really turning away. And yet, but what's awesome is we need the work of the Holy Spirit to truly be able to turn away. So John is adamant about pointing people to Jesus, thus making Jesus the one who ushers in the kingdom of God. He exalts Jesus to the extent he's like, I'm not even willing to be a servant of his. I'm not willing. I'm not even worthy to be a servant. I want to be, but, but he's so great. Um, I, I'm not even worthy to carry his, his, his sandal. And David kind of said, you know, I'd rather be a doorkeeper at the house of the Lord than to not even be in there, uh, in, in the house. And so we just see that this is the attitude, uh, um, Luke seventeen ten, not in the notes, but is after you've done all things, you say, I'm an unprofitable servant, just doing my duty. You're serving your master and you're saying, I'm unprofitable just doing my duty. And that's, um, for me, one of those things I have to keep reminding myself. You know, if I'm profitable, it's not because of me. It's because of something that God has done in and through me. I'm just doing my duty because what's the least in the mercies of God, in light of the mercies of God, how then shall I live, right? I walk in this way because God is so merciful, uh, but yet I'm desperate for him to lead me in that way. Again, John explains that Jesus is not the Savior um, who brings in the kingdom of God, but is the judge, Right? So he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. <laughs> Guess what? Some of you aren't going to make it. And that's what he's saying here. He goes, those who are chaff are going to be burned up. So there's a dividing line. John brings this dividing line. And sometimes we find that difficult to do, um, to bring the dividing line. Because what do we hear? You guys are just judgmental. No. Either you're, you're someone who has received the free gift of salvation or you're not. Jesus says, if you're not for me, you're against me. And it's like, you know, so there really is only two classes. I don't want to use that term. Two types of people. Or as we say, you can't walk the fence. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean. Yeah. You're either here yeah. or you're here. You're, you don't walk the and, fence. But what's interesting that you say that, Sharon, is we live in a, in a state of Christian culture now that is all on the fence. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't want to take two. Or, mm-hmm. Well, okay. Live for Jesus. Either live for Jesus or don't, right? Don't say, well, I want to live for him sometimes when it benefits me. Or, but yeah, I really like this over here. And I get that, right? We're all pulled between the flesh and the spirit. We're, that's just the way that, that happens once you receive the gift and he gives you the Holy Spirit. The spirit and the flesh are like John and the Pharisees. They're just competing against each other all the time. And, and it's hard. Um, and so let's look at, at Luke chapter 9. We're almost done. Luke chapter 9. Verses 18 through 20. Sorry, Laura, I should give you the 
I know you're writing those down. I should be smarter. 18 through 20. Luke 9, 18 through 20. Now it happened that as he was, pre- as he was praying alone, this, this is, by the way, one of the funniest statements in Scripture to me. Uh, there's a lot. But just listen to this, and then we'll pause, and then we'll move on. Now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him. Well, <laughs> okay, so what's the definition of alone? So anyway, just made me laugh. So every time I, every time I read this or I hear it, I'm like, mm, well, okay. But anyway, the disciples were with him, and he asked them, Who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. But others say, Elijah, and others, that, that one of the prophets of old has risen. Then he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the, the Christ of God. And this is, I just want to end with this. This is the most important question for everyone. Who do you say Jesus is? Uh, we look at other religions and other false religions, and they don't see, say that he's God. Because that statement that, he, that, that Peter says, the Christ of God is the anointed one of God giving equality to God. You are equal to God, is what Peter was saying. And that's the dividing line. Do you, you know, when we talk about communion, uh, one of the things that I'll always say is, if I see that there's visitors, if you believe Jesus is God, and that he has gifts that he wants to give you at the table, please come. But that's the dividing line for us, especially in our context, in our culture, in, in, in the LDS community. Um, and so we just want to hold on to that. But that's the dividing line. At the, end of, at the end of the day, we're standing before the judgment of Christ. He, he's not going to go, so um, how many Bible verses did you memorize? Uh, so, you, you know, how, many, uh, how, how much money did you give? He's not going to do that. You know, it's going to be either I said, well, you are, are the Christ or not. Um, and that's going to be, again, back to, to John. He's dividing his winnowing fork. And that's the division line right there. Who do you say Jesus is? How one answers this question determines their eternal state. And yet we avoid this question in the world today. You and I don't, right? I mean, we, oh, Jesus is God. Simple as that. You're the Christ. You're our only hope. But if you give that to anybody on the street who isn't a believer in Jesus Christ, who do you say Jesus is? You're going to get a lot of answers. Great teacher, um, a prophet, a guru to some. Um, you, you know, uh, one who filled with a lot of wisdom, uh, you know, a, a, a spiritual man, uh, you know, but, but, but wait, he was God. Well, that's hard for me. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, you know, because that means I'm, I'm accountable to what he did and what he said. And that means that, that we have record of what he did. Um, so again, back to, we could find with, with, even with John the Baptist, we need to understand it's never about practice, but about belief in the person of Jesus Christ. And that's what he was preparing the way so people would believe. And then the, the wonderful thing we know that the, the us to believe is the work of God upon us. And so we hope that for others as well. Let's pray. Lord, thank you again for your goodness. Lord, thanks for uh, just coming on the scene and preparing, having John prepare the way and and the, the clear cut, it's not about rules and regulations that the Pharisees and the Sadducees and, and those religious leaders were putting upon people, but it was an issue of believing that you are Christ, Christ of God, equal to God, and that's who you are. And so we're thankful that you have revealed that to us. We just lift up those who don't believe that. 
And we ask, Lord, that they would receive and turn, that they would not turn a deaf ear once again to your Holy Spirit who was convicting them of their sin, but they would find themselves open and broken and in desperate need and call out to you by the strength of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.